today we find ourselves in John chapter 21. You know, President Trump has said, and many others have said, Mayor Sylvester Turner has said, that we are fighting an enemy that is closing in on us. And the only way to win that war, to win that battle, is for us to have plans and for us to take orders. In the military, there are always marching orders. A soldier knows before he leaves and goes out what he or she has to do to fulfill his or her commanding officer's expectations. We also have marching orders. We, the Church of Jesus Christ, were given marching orders before Jesus left this earth to give us a plan and a, and a way to deal with our lives. Today, here in John chapter 21, I want to look at three Three marching orders that were given to the disciples, but there are three marching orders that belong to all believers. If you are a Christian, if you have asked Christ into your life, these are your orders. They are not suggestions. They are not optional. They are not things you can do later. They are not things you can do when you feel like you can get around to it. These are the things that were given to the disciples when Jesus was with them so they could begin that life of faithful obedience. The first thing we see in John chapter 21 verse 1 is this. Jesus orders us to let down the nets. Now if you've gone through the, if you've gone through the book of John with us, you know exactly what he's about to say. But let's look at what it is here. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of the disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Probably from that distance, they could only see a man standing on the shore. Men! Jesus cried out to them, You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the nets on the right side of the boat. He told them, and you will find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now this isn't the first time Jesus has done this. You remember all the way back when Jesus was speaking, he told Peter to let down the nets. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking so full of the catch that they did not believe was there that their nets began to break. That's an amazing thing that Jesus says, let down your nets. What does it mean for us, the church, to let down our nets? It means we need to be willing at all times, in all places, and even through discouragement. We need to be ready to reap a harvest for the Savior. We need to be ready to talk about our faith, to explain our faith, to say why coronavirus doesn't fill us with fear, why it doesn't fill us with anxiety, why we can walk into the world being safe, wearing gloves, wearing a mask, why we can walk into the world not afraid because we know that the Savior is with us. Amen? 
So many people are so paranoid, so frightened, so scared that their lives are put on hold. They're not living, they're only existing. And that is not what God intended for his church. Let's go back into our scripture again today. So Simon Peter, so, so John says to Simon Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped and plunged into the sea. But since it was not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boats, dragging the net full of fish. When they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Now before the nets were breaking at the catch, but here the nets are reinforced supernaturally to hold this massive haul. What is Jesus telling them? What is he telling us? That when God tells us to go into the world and make disciples, to bring people to faith, he is going to make that possible. Some people think they cannot share the gospel because they don't speak well. Some people think they cannot share the gospel because they are too shy. Some people believe they cannot share the gospel because in the world in which we live, people don't seem willing to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear good news. You talk about how bad God is. How could God let this happen? How could God let so many people die? Or how foolish are Christians to come together on Sunday at church? Now, I don't think we should be in a church building. I think we should obey the law. We should be obedient to the authorities over us until they change their rules. That's why you're there and I'm here because we're obeying the law. But we are meeting and we are learning and we are worshiping together, amen? Amen. And that's what the world should be about. The church should show the world that we are without fear. We're not stupid. We're not uh, throwing caution to the wind, but we are still committed to our Lord and Savior. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, there were other occurrences where Jesus showed himself, once to over 500 people at one time. But this is the third time that John talks about. This is the third time that John records, so that's why he says it's the third appearance in this recounting of mine. And that's the important thing. See, when Jesus took these men who were fishers, he said what? I will make you fishers of men. Not fishers of industry, not fishers of commerce, not fishers of wealth or fishers of prosperity, but fishers of men. Our job is to catch human beings in the net of God's love and to draw them to the gospel. At this day and age, when even our mayor is praying on television, praying for God to intervene, praying for God to save, this is the perfect time to let down our nets, church. It's the perfect time to extend ourselves to other people saying, hey, are you afraid? Come with me to church. Come hear the gospel. Come hear the good news that this is not going to be the end of the world. This is not a zombie apocalypse. They're saying now that there's going to be a second wave of COVID-19. And they said in the winter, it could come back again. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, this will scare the life out of you. This will terrify you because you keep thinking, how can we endure such terrible things? Let's not forget, church, 
This is not the tribulation. These are only birth pains. What is to come later will be 10 times worse and will drive people to the Antichrist, drive them to the false Christ, the false deliverer. But for right now, we have a chance to do what God has ordained for us to let down our nets, to be fishers of men. But there's another order here, another command. John 21, 15, Jesus orders us to feed the people, to feed the people. A lot of churches exist on entertainment. A lot of churches exist to entertain people. Therefore, uh, two-thirds of the service is a concert and one-third is an encouraging morning devotional. That is not the job of the church. What is the job of the church? Let's take a look at it. John 21, 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these men seated here beside you? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. What is Jesus telling him? If you love me, the word here is agape, agapo. It means to be a selfless, completely devoted servant. If you are completely devoted to me, you be the one that feeds my sheep. You teach them, you encourage them, you build them up. Jesus had told Peter, you will fall away, Peter. You will fail me. But after you have come back, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen those who are around you, those who are shaken. All of us fall away at some point. Hopefully not as bad as Simon Peter. But all of us have slipped away from that close walk with God. Every one of us. And when we come back, what is our job? Strengthen the brothers. That's not just the pastor's job to feed the sheep. You guys minister to each other all the time. Gary and Glenn got out here and cut the grass and I heard it was quite a task. I heard Satan himself showed up in the form of a serpent and was trying to take Gary out. But Gary withstood the uh, temptation and kept going and cut the grass. You see, Satan tries to sift out the church. He tries to get rid of people, put them on the sidelines, give them a reason not to grow. But that's not what it's about. He told Peter, do you love me? Do you, are you selflessly committed to me? Interestingly, Peter's answer is, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Phileo is a brotherly love. It's a tender affection between brothers, especially between military men, those who have served together. They have a sense of camaraderie, a sense of brotherhood. So he says, are you selflessly committed? He says, yes, Lord, I tenderly love you. Now remember, Peter had said once before, I will go to the grave with you. I will die with you. And what happened? He denied Jesus three times. So when Jesus says, do you love me? Peter is still stinging inside from his failure. Peter is still hurt inside because he failed Jesus at a critical moment. So when he says, are you faithlessly committed to me? Faithfully committed to me? Peter can't answer that because he's failed. He says, yes, Lord, I tenderly love you. But it goes on. He told him a second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you, do you agape me? Do you love me selflessly? Are you fully committed to me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I phileo you. I am tenderly affectionate toward you. Then he said, shepherd my sheep. What is shepherding? If you are a parent, you know what shepherding is. Shepherding is caring for the emotional, physical and spiritual needs of the people who are dependent upon you. Husbands, you are to shepherd your family. 
Moms, you are to shepherd your children. If you are a servant of the church, you shepherd the church. If God puts you in a place where you're the only Christian and everybody else is a pagan, you are, be the, you are to be there as a light in the darkness. You are to be there as one who tenderly shows the love of God to everybody. But this word shepherding is for the church. It is the work we do within the church among God's people, caring for God's people, loving God's people. And so he's told Peter, feed them, give them the word of truth. Now shepherd them, lead them, guide them. Remember he told them, you're going to fall away, but when you come back, what? Strengthen your brothers. There's a lot that goes into strengthening each other, encouraging each other, reminding each other of our task, which is to spread the gospel. It says this, he told him now a third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you have tender affection for me? Jesus stepped it down. Twice, twice Peter said, I phileo you. I am tenderly affectionate towards you. So Jesus steps it down. One pastor said this, what he said is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you even care for me? Jesus stepped it down. And when he did, Simon Peter got the message. It says this, Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Be the one who is the shepherd. Be the one who takes care of them, who, who ministers to them. <coughs> Jesus said, I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you have grown old, you will stretch out your hand and somebody else will tie you and carry you to where you don't want to go. He said this to signify what kind of death he would glorify, death he would glorify God with. Peter was destined to grow old and in his age, he would be led and he would be led to a crucifixion upside down in Rome. He will be led to a death that he promised Jesus he would die a long time ago. Jesus had told him before in John 13, 36, Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. You cannot follow me to death now, but later you will follow me in the way of death. In fact, all of the disciples died a violent death except for John. John was the only one left to languish in prison, languish on that island, to be alone and to be left out there to die. But he received the revelation and upon returning to Ephesus, he gave them the revelation and when it was complete, he died in peace. John was the only one who would die that way. Everybody else died a violent martyr's death. So Jesus is talking to Peter about what it means to feed the people, to feed the saints, to tell them the truth, to communicate the gospel. Peter was an apostle. The word apostle literally means those who are sent out. None of the disciples stayed in Jerusalem as leaders. That's where the church of Rome gets it wrong. They think that Peter was the first pope. He was not, he was a missionary. He was sent out. The only one that stayed in town was James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, and he led the church in Jerusalem. All right, there comes the refreshing rain that we knew was coming. Let's wrap this thing up. <coughs> if we get to John 21 and 20, we find the third order that Jesus gives them. 
It says this, so Peter turned around and saw the disciple, Jesus loved, following them. That disciple was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus has just told Peter he's going to die a death he doesn't want to die. He's going to follow him into death, and Peter didn't want to hear that. So this third order that Jesus gives is walk the path I give you. Now many of us look around and we see people who are Christians who have great careers either as recording artists, as authors, as a television stars, Christians who go out there and they have these amazing lives and we say, well, Lord, why not me? Why can't I have a life like that? Why can't I have all that money and that fame and that success? This is why, church, because that is not what God has called you to do. So Peter looks back, he sees John. John is just walking behind them. He says, Lord, what about that guy? What's going to happen? You told me I'm going to die a death. I don't want to die. What's going to happen to him? This is what Jesus says. Now listen to it. This is what he speaks to all of us. If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Those are the first words Jesus said to all the disciples. Follow me. Come and see. You make the movement to come to me. You follow me. You will see what the kingdom of God is all about. We can't be worried about how other people who have the name Christian live their lives. That is not our concern. What they have, what they own, what they enjoy in their life, success. I always wanted to be a singer. I'm not a singer. I always wanted to be a writer. I can't write to save my own life. None of these things that I thought were going to be my life have been my life. What is my life? To stand in front of people and tell them, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I get the greatest job in the world. I get to stand up here and run my mouth and tell you that God is good. And they call that a living. I call it a blessing, amen? Whatever God has given you to do, wherever he has put you, you know, they always say, be like a plant. And wherever God plants you, bloom. Be that light in the darkness. Wherever he puts you, he may surround you with other Christians, and your only job is to encourage and to support them. Maybe your job is to be part of a ministry, but in the background, where nobody can see you. Is that okay? Yes, because that's where God put you. Peter had a destiny that Jesus set out for him. John had a destiny. If you ask me, John's was much more terrible. He had to watch all of his friends die. He had to sit in isolation on the Isle of Patmos, and he had to wait for death. But at the end of his life, at the end of that ministry, he was able, he was capable of receiving from God that vision of the revelation that all of us look at and cling to and think about when we talk about the last days. He says this then, so this report spread to the brothers that this disciple would not die. You see, they heard it, but they misunderstood it. Be careful, church. Sometimes people on the radio, people on the TV say, I read this in the Bible and I received a revelation that no one's ever had. Nonsense. That is ridiculous. It's easy for us to read into something 
what we want to see. People heard that if I want this guy to stick around, what do you care? You follow me. That was the emphasis. You follow me. All everybody else heard was, oh my gosh, John's not going to die. How amazing is that? Yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die, but if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. John's saying, this is me. I am the one that that was said about. I am this John. I am this beloved disciple. This is me telling you what I've seen and heard. We know that his testimony is true, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they took and were written down one by one, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that it would be written. So even if we wrote every single word of Jesus, the world couldn't hold them all. But remember what last week said. John said last week, I've written these things to you so that you can believe. And in believing, you have eternal life. That is why it is so vital for us to go through the word of God again and again and again. You can never exhaust the Bible. You can never go through it enough times. I know one pastor, he reads through the book of Proverbs. He reads one chapter a day, every day. There's 31 Proverbs. He goes through them in a month. When he finishes, you know what he does? He does it again and again and again because he feels that every time he goes through, every time he completes it, he feels challenged to learn new and better things. Nothing contradictory, nothing revelatory. He's just getting a better understanding of the book of Proverbs. And that's a good way to look at it. If we look at this and we talk about how individuals are various, how uh, they vary, consider 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, and we're done for the day. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but there is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Understand that. Every one of us has a different gift. Every one of us has a different ability. But every single one of those gifts and abilities comes from one and the same God. And it is God who makes it possible for you to do what you do and I to do what I do. What has God called you to do? Who has he called you to be? Because whatever he has put in your heart, whatever vision of service is there, God will make that happen. Keep going in that same chapter. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gift you have is not for yourself. It's not for you to make a fortune. It's not for you to become wealthy. The gift you have is to bless the people of God, to bless the church, to bless all of the church. If someday you leave Texas and you go somewhere weird, like Oklahoma or, or California or someplace like that, wherever you go, you take your gift with you. And when you get there, you are expected by the God who gave you that gift to use that gift wherever you find yourself. I have found myself in all four corners of this nation and in a couple countries on top of that. And wherever I go, I am the same person. I have the same gift and I use it to the best of my ability in that place at that time for whatever length of time God leaves me there. We are finishing the book of John. What is Jesus saying? You have a job. You have something to do. You're to let down your nets to bring in that harvest. You are to go ahead and feed the church, feed the people. Heck, feed the sinners. 
feed them the knowledge of their sins so they can repent and come to Jesus and be saved. And above all things, you are to walk out that gift that God has given you. Whether it's 27 years or 87 years, there is what they are calling the 27 Club in rock and roll. In rock and roll in the 60s, we lost a lot of singers and performers at the age of 27. They died from drugs, they died from alcohol and other abuses. They call it the 27 Club as a joke. But here's the thing, some of them did in those 27 years amazing things. Many of us are way past 27. Some haven't got caught up there yet. Whatever length of time you have lived, what have you done with that life? What have you done with that gift? Keep going back in 1 Corinthians. I love this. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's one that my wife has. My wife has that ability to listen to someone and to know when their intentions are true and when their intentions are false. People have come into our lives, into our ministry, and have brought a wrong motive into our lives. And my wife is always the one to pick that up. See, I'm kind of, I'm kind of um, naive. I accept people for whatever they say they are. If you tell me that's who you are, I'm going to believe you. But my wife will take me later and she'll grab me by the ear and go, Dear, you need to look a little more carefully. Dear, you need to listen a little better because I don't get a good feeling from this person. And she's always right. She is always right. There have always been those people that have come in to destroy our ministry and my wife can see them a mile away. She has this gift from the Lord to protect our ministry. Gentlemen, I say this to you with all encouragement. Listen to your wives. God put them there for a reason. You have the wife you have because they are a blessing. You have the wife you have because they have unique gifts that you need to avail yourself of. When a husband and wife work together in the service of the Lord, not even Satan himself can tear that wall down. You will be impenetrable if you stay together and if you blend your gifts together. I love the last of this. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You can't choose your gift. You can't choose your special spiritual ability. That is not for you to choose. Your only choice is, do I use the gift God's given me or do I not? You may say, but I want this gift, I want that gift. I know churches that teach you can get whatever gift you want by practicing. That's nonsense. This says the Holy Spirit gives the gift to each one as the Holy Spirit desires. Your desires don't come into this. God has built you for a purpose. He built Peter for one purpose and John for another. And he wanted them both to be content to walk out that plan. He wanted them both to be able to do what they were designed to do. As I sit here, I listen to the sound of big, powerful diesel trucks running. Here's the thing. If I take a big, powerful diesel truck, a truck that's built for torque, a truck that is built to haul heavy weights, and I put it in a drag race, it's going to lose. Why? It was never designed for that purpose. 
if I take a sleek sports car like a Porsche or a Ferrari or a Lamborghini and I, and I hook it up to a two, th two or three thousand pound sled, can it pull it? No. Why? It was never designed for that. Church, when you became a Christian, you were designed to serve a holy God. You were designed to be his servants, to use for his glory, to bring people to his knowledge. That's your purpose. That's how you were built. When you submit to that, you will be stunned at how effective you are in living the life God set out for you. If you keep trying to live your own life, saying, Lord, I know you gave me this, but I want this, you will never be happy because that is not who you were meant to be. That's not how God wires you. As we finish this book of John, remember what he said. I wrote down the things that I wrote down so that you may believe, and in believing you will have life. Here's the great thing. Gentlemen, we all know that men cannot give birth, and there's a reason. That's because men are weak, and we can never stand it. But as a believer, you can give birth. You can speak the word of Christ. You can nurture the word of Christ. You can pray the word of Christ. You can bathe someone in prayer and strength and example, and you can see delivered by the Holy Spirit into your hands a brand new Christian that God gives you the privilege, like a midwife, of receiving into the world. That's the greatest privilege in the world, to see someone born again, to see our children come to Christ, to see our grandchildren come to Christ, to find them serving the Lord with all of their heart because they see in their parents someone serving God with all their heart. They see in their grandparents somebody serving the Lord with all their heart. As you get out of here today and, and get out of this rain, I just pray that you will take these words to heart. We have our orders. Let down the nets. Just let down the nets. Feed the church. Put um, a tantalizing meal in front of the world so they can see what the Christian life is all about. And finally, walk out whatever path God has put for you. Whatever he has called you to be, whether in the front or in the back, you go serve God. Let's pray.